0: Welcome back to the Genesis of Conception. I'm your hostess, Bex David, and this is the space between the picket lines. This is a space where we talk about all things pro-life, but we come at it from the basis of real science and provable data. In the last episode, we discussed genocide numbers and why they matter to the pro-life world. This week, we're going to look at why I firmly believe that even in cases of rape and incest, it is still morally wrong for the mother to abort her child. Now, I am aware of the controversiality of saying that, and you may be tempted to just turn this episode off. I humbly ask that you keep listening because I think that I can provide a good argument. I also wish to note that I say all of what follows from the perspective of being a rape survivor. So I completely understand the anguish and confusion and pain that are produced by that sort of encounter. My heart 1000% goes out to my fellow survivors. Never forget how strong you are. That said, we'll start with the premise that rape and incest are both evil things that have no place in a modern civilized world, though I will elaborate that they are bad for differing reasons. Let me preface the evils of rape with the disclaimer that rape is never the fault of the victim. Period. End of story. That said, rape is evil because it uses force to take what the rapist wants without the permission or the desire of the other person involved. It strips the victim of his or her dignity and it has the very real power to destroy their trust in others as well as their sense of self-worth forever. The information regarding After Effects comes directly from the Joyful Heart Foundation. Now, that is a foundation which was started by Law & Order Special Victims Unit star Mariska Hargitay. Now, she started it after she began receiving letters from real-life survivors who were also fans of the show, and she wanted to do something productive to actually help. Since the founding, Joyful Heart has become a leading national voice on the matter, as well as a haven for those needing sanctuary. We know from them that the definition of rape is, quote, forced sexual intercourse, including vaginal, anal, or oral penetration, unquote. They go on to elaborate that monetarily, recent estimates place the cost of rape at 122000 461 dollars per victim. This includes things like medical costs, lost productivity, criminal justice activity, and a variety of other things. Psychologically, the costs can include both short and long-term post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, unexplainable sadness, a loss of interest in previously enjoyed activities, disassociation, and suicidal thoughts, as well as attempts on one's life. There are also a whole host of other potential side effects, which include, but are not limited to, sexual dysfunction, chronic fatigue, and involuntary shaking. Obviously, all of that stated, there is no denying that rape is a heinous crime that has no place in a civilized society. Those who commit the act of rape, in my humble opinion, are deranged and belong at the very least behind bars forever and permanently sterilized so that they can never hurt anyone ever again. Transitioning to incest, it is wrong because the genetic codes of the two individuals involved, if unified to create a child, are too similar to produce a healthy third human. A study by Psychology Today looked at a group of genetic counselors who, who reviewed the research on the biological consequences of sex between relatives, which, by the way, is officially titled consanguineous Relationships. So in that type of relationship, the results were found to be as follows. When genetic cousins produce a child, there is about a 4% increase in the likelihood of serious birth defects. Now, I know that 4% might not sound all that bad, but in my mind's eye, why risk that sort of an increase when you can just as easily find a sexual partner who you do not share genetics with? Now, when those who are first degree relatives, and that's daughter father, mother son, sibling sibling, that sort of thing, when they produce a child, there is a 40% higher chance that the child will have either an autosomal recessive disorder, a congenital physical malformation, or a severe intellectual deficit. And there is also the possibility of the child inheriting some combination thereof. To break those terms down into normal language, we'll start with autosomal recessive disorder. And we're going to be looking to the National Human Genome Research Institute for some light on the topic. Basically, if one parent carries a faulty gene that has not been activated to cause problems, then there is a small chance that their child will inherit the activated version. This would cause the child to suffer from a disease such as sickle cell or cystic fibrosis. The odds of the child being born with the activated version go up substantially if both parents carry the non-activated version. Now the simplest way to get two parents with the non-active version is if the parents are first degree relatives. And of course, being cousins who produce a child together also makes the chances go up. Second, the term congenital physical malformation. Now, we know compliments of top doctors, United Kingdom, that congenital malformations are defects or abnormalities in the baby's body that develop during pregnancy. It can be either a missing slash malformed body part or an issue with the chemical composition of the body, such as Down syndrome or deafness or blindness, thyroid issues, etc., I am not exaggerating when I say that there are 4,000 different types of malformations, all of which can be easily triggered by an incestuous relationship. Third and finally, at least for the incestuous vein, is the term severe intellectual deficit. Now, that is just a fancy way of saying mental retardation. Also, I know that that's a hot button phrase, but please understand that one, I'm not the one who came up with it, and two, it is the correct term for that deficit, and here on this podcast, I believe in, a- in always using proper terminology to the best of my capabilities. So to conclude this portion of the topic at hand, rape and incest are both evil and awful, but for completely different reasons. Additionally, there are plenty of incest cases that are also rape cases, for which the victim is not in even the slightest way at fault. Neither should exist in any respectable society. However, Since they both do, we shall move on to why they do not excuse the murder of the now-created child in utero. Interestingly, as I have been doing pro-life activism for about two years at this point, I don't hear too many incest-only based arguments because people on both sides generally tend to agree that it is in fact disgusting. The one thing I do hear is that the child will be born with defects and therefore both their quality of life and the toll taken on their family to care for them is simply too risky. Ergo, the right thing to do is to murder the child before they become a lifelong problem. The simplest way that I can answer that is as follows. It is wrong to intentionally take the life of an innocent person simply so that they can never experience or be the cause of either suffering or a harder life. It is an immoral preemptive solution to a problem that you do not have any way of knowing will actually be a severe issue. Doctors aren't God, which means that they are capable of being wrong. And even if the doctor is not wrong, everyone suffers in this life. It's a product of the fall of mankind. It is right and it is proper to try to fix the suffering, but it is never the solution to just kill the sufferer. And yes, for that exact reason, I am against elective suicide, but that is not the focus of today's episode. That said, at its core, the pro-choice argument on this topic has a few different limbs, all of which focus on the concept of either rape or incest rape. First, the fact that the mother is now being forced to carry what has oftentimes refer- been referred to as devil spawn that she did not ask for or desire, which strips her of her bodily autonomy post-rape and also causes further trauma. Second, the fact that the mother will be constantly reliving the trauma that she experienced at the hands of her attacker simply by caring for her child post-birth, either because the child might have the temperament of the rapist, the looks of the rapist, or both. Lastly, the fact that the mother is now forced to remain permanently connected to the rapist by the necessitation of them both parenting the child. I most frequently hear this argument when brought up by those who experienced either spousal or relationship rape. So I'll tackle each of these arguments separately and give the er, pro choice, sorry, pro life answer. Regarding carrying devil's spawn and the consequent stripping of bodily autonomy, there are multiple different things to address. First, killing the child destroys the best DNA evidence that one could ask for regarding proof that intercourse actually occurred, which only serves to help the rapist. Second, while the mother absolutely has bodily autonomy, she is no longer the only human life at stake that new child also has bodily autonomy that must be respected. And for reference on that, I have several episodes in this series that delve specifically into why that is true. I highly recommend you go and listen to them after this episode. Third, it is always wrong, always, to punish an innocent child for the crimes of one of his or her parents. Just as you would not look at a newborn and blame their father or and blame them for the father or mother being a murderer, You have no right to look at that newborn and blame them for the fact that their father or their mother was a rapist. Justice should absolutely be served upon the guilty party, but that person is not the innocent child. Then on the note of the child being a constant triggering trauma for the mother post-birth, there are some women who feel that way. For them, I believe adoption to be the right answer. They should not be around that child for as long as the child will be re- will be a reminder of what happened to them. But again, the child is not at fault for the sins of their parent and should not face murder as the solution. It will only serve to be more traumatic for the not guilty parent down the road. Now, as a quick side note on this point, I hear frequently that the child will experience severe trauma and slash or neglect in the foster care system, so it would be more merciful that they just be killed in utero instead. Now, another way to phrase that argument is that it is better to kill the sufferer preemptively than to try to eliminate the causes of suffering. I have already elaborated why that is a bad argument. I also want to point out that live action conducted not one, but two separate in-depth studies of post-rape pregnant women. So women who were raped and then they got pregnant. And this study looked at both those who chose abortion and those who chose life. And it found some incredible and interesting results. I'll share the top four with you. Number one, 88% of women, 88, who chose abortion after rape regretted it and felt that they had made the wrong choice. Number two, 93% who chose abortion said that they would not recommend the same decision to somebody else. Number three, 43% said that they had felt pressured by either families or abortion workers or both to choose abortion even when they wanted to keep the child. And number four, of the women who carried a term, not a single one regretted having her baby. And she even, and they even stated that over 80% explicitly expressed happiness about their child. Now, as an interesting side note here, I liked the phraseology that these women used in reference to choosing life and giving birth. They used phrases like totally selfless act, a generous act, a display of courage, strength, and honor, and finally, proof that they were better than the rapist. Now, my favorite quote from these studies is as follows. While he destroyed... She can nurture the moral of the story being one heinous selfish horrific act of violence should not produce another now on the argument of co-parenting with the rapist. My prayer is that the rapist would be castrated and jailed for life, but no matter what I cannot emphasize strongly enough that the rapist has no place in either the child's life or the life of the non guilty parent. A rapist is not a stable person and will only bring chaos and pain to all other parties involved, period. Now, I've also been asked whether the child should be made aware of the horror that brought them about. I would honestly have to say I think it's a case-by-case basis. Let me explain. Some of the strongest pro-life warriors I know are, are such because they were the child of rape and their parent chose life. That knowledge also altered their life in a positive way forever, which is fantastic. However, some do not have either the constitution or the mental fortitude to handle that kind of information. I would personally advise ensuring that the child has developed enough to understand how precious and loved and worthy and not bad they are. If and when that conversation takes place, In my humble opinion, it should happen once that developmental milestone has been reached. But the overarching concept of the pro-life answer to the question of what about rape and incest is twofold in nature. First, do not have a consensual sexual relationship with someone you know that you're related to. There are literally billions of other options. Second, in any case where a woman is impregnated against her will, the rapist should be castrated and jailed for life or killed. Pure and simple. But the resulting child should not face the death penalty for the sins of his or her parent. Now before I end this, I would like to address both the fringe question that I hear and also I would like to give you guys a final thought. So for the fringe question... What happens when a guy is raped by a woman and she becomes pregnant? Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. In this situation, the right thing to do is incredibly tough. Part one, the woman faces the same penalties that a male rapist would, but sparing the life of the child. Part two, if the guy can handle raising the child, he does. Part three, if the guy decides that he cannot handle that responsibility, the child is placed up for adoption. And as to your question of adoption in those cases, refer above. So, is it easy or simple? Absolutely not. But rarely in life is the correct answer the easy or simple one. We just don't live in that kind of a world. For my final thought, I want to say that I understand that those who are pro-choice regarding rape and incest Are coming from a soft spot of compassion for the mother. Please understand that I share your emotions on that. Going through rape is traumatic and it will change the person's life forever, regardless of whether or not they become pregnant. I can only imagine the negative impact of adding incest to the mix. That is hard, and I'm about to provide some resources for survivors of either one of those things. However, if a pregnancy does occur, you are now dealing with another human who deserves just as much of a soft spot in compassion as the woman does. For one second, I ask you to imagine finding out that you were the product of rape or incest or a combination thereof. Imagine that there is an entire sector of people who would rather have seen you dead for something that you had no control over. Imagine watching people people fight all across the nation for the ability to end your life. Imagine how awful that would make you feel. I happen to have met several people during my time in pro-life activism who have those stories, who know what it is to be that child and to hear those things. I promise you that it breaks their hearts and it does a number on both their self-esteem and their sense of belonging in this world. I urge you to have the same compassion for their stories as you do for the stories of their mothers. Switching gears, and as promised, before I give you this week's book recommendation, I want to provide an incredible resource if you need it or you know, or you know someone who does. There is a hotline. It's the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It's part of the Rain Network. It is a confidential 24-7 support system. You can find it on Facebook, on Tumblr, on Twitter, and on Pinterest. You can also go chat online if that is what you prefer to do. It's online.rain which is R-A-I-N-N.org. You can also call them. The number is 800-656-4673. Again, that is 800-656-4673. If you need the Spanish option, on their homepage, which is www.rainn.org backslash resources, you go there, scroll down a little bit, there's an option for everything in Spanish. And finally, the Rain Network also deals with cases of incest. Now for today's book recommendation. It's called Reclaiming Your Life After Rape, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Client Workbook. It was written by two women, Barbara Olasov, which is O-L-A-S-O-V, Rothbaum, so that's her full name. And it was also written by Edna B. Foa. It's actually tailored to those who are suffering from PTSD and from other intense symptoms and who need to know how to survive and continue on with life, even if they may not be ready to go see someone professionally about it. You can find the book in all of the usual places. And once again, it is called Reclaiming Your Life After Rape, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Client. And it's a workbook. Finally, if you'd like to reach out to me personally for help, or maybe you have questions or comments or concerns. You can find me on Facebook as Bex David. That's B-E-X like X-ray. And then David like the biblical king. And if you're looking anywhere else, I am proudly pro-life Gen Z woman. And it's all smushed together like one big run on word. I am here for you. Please hear that. I am here to help in every way that I possibly can. I can connect you to any resources you might need. And if I don't know the answer myself, I will find it for you. And then I will give it to you. Additionally, if you like this podcast, please don't forget to share it with someone else who you think might benefit from it. And of course, subscribe slash download the episodes. Now, next time, we'll be discussing the concept of being born alive and left to die. It is real and it is happening and we're going to talk about it. Now, between now and then, I challenge you to live as though you are loved and cherished and precious simply because you're alive and our Savior did not create you by accident. Live as though your life has meaning and purpose, and I promise you that it will revolutionize your world in the best way possible. Until next time, let's continue to be pioneers in the space between the picket lines together. As always, thank you for tuning in, and God bless.